welcome to the second podcast of Call Your Broker. Uh, this is Matthew Struck with Treadstone Risk Management. Joining me again are Giovanni uh, Mancini with Treadstone Risk Management and John DiMartino with Liberty Benefit Advisors. Hey, guys. Hey, how is everybody? So uh, what we're going to be talking about today actually uh, kind of puts John on the hot seat a little bit. Um, we're going to be talking about his uh, what's you know his bailiwick. Uh, this episode is about uh, collective bargaining negotiations um, in, in New Jersey uh, with respect to health benefits and, and other benefits that get rolled into that process. Uh, the pro- you know the regulatory uh, and legislative environment here in New Jersey for health benefits uh, has been a little chaotic um, and there's been a lot of changes mostly because certain things that were put into place a long time ago are now uh, kind of fully either enacted or falling off. Uh, and so the biggest thing is uh, Chapter 78. So Chapter 78 contributions are sunsetting. So my first question, John, is what is Chapter 78 or what are Chapter 78 contributions? And then the follow-up is uh, why is it such a big deal that they're sunsetting? All right. So Chapter 78, uh, one of the most hotly debated uh, and either loved or hated uh, pieces of legislation probably in New Jersey history. Uh, with the Christie administration, uh, actually prior to the Christie administration, uh, no public sector entity, at least school district-wide in New Jersey, was really contributing towards the cost of their benefits, right? Mm-hmm. So they had uh, direct 10 benefits, which are the richest benefits money can buy at the time, mm-hmm. uh, for free, basically. Um, and, and times were great. Uh, but so you're then, talking about just the employees or the school districts? They were contributing something small, right? It was a 1.5% of salary at some places. Right, right, right before Chapter 78 kicked in. That was Chapter yep. 2, which yep. set like a, a small floor for them to pay for it. Sure. Um, so it started there and then snowballed into Chapter 78. And the gist of that law was uh, that public sector employees had to contribute towards the cost of their benefits a certain percentage uh, based on what their salary was. So we call that salary banded in the industry. Uh, the more money you make, the higher your contribution towards the benefits. Right. So uh, now, is that a good thing or a bad thing that it's uh, attached to the salary? Well, it depends on who you ask. Right. Uh, if you are a high wage earner, uh, you don't like it. Of course. Uh, but if you're a low wage earner, then, then you definitely love it. Okay. Uh, from our standpoint, standpoint, a consulting standpoint, um, as it pertains to the Affordable Care Act, right, we had to offer employees benefits that were affordable, mm-hmm. um, and the Chapter 78 grid was offered in such a way that it was always affordable sure. for the employees, at least per their definition. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that in that respect, it was good. Um, and, and the biggest thing uh, was that Chapter 78 has four different pieces to it: year one, two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so each year, one through four, the contribution amount that the employee has to pay increases, right? right? So what ended up happening was, for the most part, uh, collective bargaining units bargain in a three-year period of time. Uh, And and this went back and forth for a while, but ultimately, how the law read was that if uh, once you start contributing Chapter 78, so let's say collective bargaining agreement number one, Mm -hmm. uh, years one, two, and three, you're contributing Chapter 78 years one, two, and three, Mm -hmm. and then the next uh, contract that's three years, it's four, four, four. Okay. So, so what happens was uh, you were essentially dealing with Chapter 78 for a period of six years, mm-hmm. uh, even though it only went up to year four. Right. Um, so there's quite a few things that people have done to help mitigate that. But what happens now is really what we're interested in mm-hmm. talking about. Now that that, that six-year period of time is up, right. Chapter 78 does what's called sunsets. Uh, and there was a lot of back and forth on this too, but the gist of it is uh, unions can now bargain with the Board of Education uh, to determine 
what their contribution is going to be. So it, it's not subject to state mandates anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the issues are, you know, is the money in the budget? Can we roll back to a lower contribution? Mm -hmm. um, and those are some of the things that, that we'll definitely be talking about as, as this podcast continues. Okay, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to approach this kind of from the BA standpoint. Um, you know, if you guys are sitting in front of me and, and we're talking about, you know, going to negotiations uh, and the, uh, you know, what's the, the first thing I want to talk about is the psychology is, you know, as a BA, I'm, 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 I'm not really going to be uh, an overly active participant in the negotiations. Um, see, some BAs choose to be a little bit more active. I mean, I'm a little bit more passive when it comes to things like sure. this, especially because the BA has to balance all of these different, um, you know, objectives that are that are going to take place at the negotiating table um, what's kind of the mindset on on both sides of the negotiating table uh, in terms of the the, the unions and, and the employees with respect to how much they have to contribute and then also on the flip side the the board of ed and kind of considerations that they have right uh, so taking a look at it first from a perspective of an employee uh, who's part of a uh, collective bargaining unit um, you know I can say pretty pretty freely that there's a lot of resentment there Right. Uh, I mean, this wasn't something that was negotiated. This was something that that the state unilaterally thrust upon them. Yep. Um, so if I'm an employee every year since Chapter 78 came out, I've taken home less and less money. Um, and, and as both of you know, medical inflation can be 10 percent or higher, right. uh, whereas salary increases pre Chapter 78 were on average about 4 percent. Mm -hmm. Post-Chapter 78, they're about 2.5%. Right. So inflation is essentially uh, outpacing the salary increases that they're seeing for the most part. Absolutely. Uh, and, and between that high medical inflation and the fact that I'm now taking home less every year uh, because there was also a law on how much we could raise the taxes, right, 2% right. cap, yep. um, I'm very upset if I'm an employee and I'm looking uh, to roll back my contributions uh, to a level that I deem acceptable. Sure. You know, in a perfect world, you know, we'd make them vanish again, right? If, mm -hmm. I'm, right. if I'm a, a union member, but, you know, that's not the world that we live in. Sure. Now, stepping back and taking a look at it from the board perspective, uh, Chapter 78 has been great. Uh, we've right. had so much more money in the budget, mm -hmm. right? And, and we've been able to do tons of different things, and hopefully uh, the money was used appropriately. Mm -hmm. What we've seen was uh, some districts have money left in the budget where they can roll back mm -hmm. uh, the contributions a little bit willingly, and, and they're heading into negotiations with that mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, we have some districts that financially are in a little bit more trouble. Sure. Um, and, and they don't necessarily have the means to roll those back. Right. Um, so what I try and look at as a consultant and what we're starting to look at now is where the two meet. Mm -hmm. Right. Because believe it or not, we're all sitting on the same side of the table here. Mm -hmm. Right. With help from the board and the employees, we can help offset some of those costs uh, that are driving medical inflation. We can help upset some of those costs that are uh, causing employees to pay an astronomical amount out of their paycheck. Uh, and, and in future years, uh, if we do it right, there's a huge opportunity to put employees and the board in a position uh, where, believe it or not, healthcare costs are somewhat contained. So uh, there's also another uh, monkey wrench to throw in here, and um, you know, keeping my business administrator hat on. Um, there seems to be a lot of rumblings of this every single year, but um, state health, state employee health benefits plan. Um, you know, if if I'm if I'm in a district that's in um, you know this plan that's run by the state, basically. Mm -hmm. um, 
I've I've heard I've heard you know uh, rumors about uh, issues in terms of their funding and uh, what's going to happen with the plan and whatnot. Um, that kind of throws a monkey wrench in here as well, doesn't it? No, definitely. And, and Matt, this is a year uh, in particular um, where there's a lot of uncertainty. Right, and as a as a risk manager, is there anything we love more than uncertainty? Uh, you <laughs> plan, plan for the worst and hope for the best. Right. So, <laughs> so what we're looking at this year is uh, there was a report that released by KPMG, uh, an accounting firm, uh, which has to review the financials of the uh, SHBP for the right. munis and the SEHBP uh, for the school boards uh, every year, and and what they found were, um, well, let me backtrack. Insurance companies need to keep an account on hand of money. Uh, to pay claims for the year, and and they need to keep about uh, 25% of their total spend for the year in this bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, what we see now is there's about I don't know three percent of the amount they're supposed to have wow. in this account, uh, dangerously low. And, yeah. and I'm ballparking those figures, but but you get the gist of it. That's pretty close to what it is actually. Um, so to mitigate that, there's really only two things they can do either come out with a big increase to replenish those reserves uh, or slash the benefits uh, so they don't have to pay out as much money. Um, one of the things that, that makes this a particularly interesting year is the governor change, mm-hmm. right? So whether or not whether we like it or not, politics does play a part in some of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the teachers are pushing legislation, and, and I believe it's passed, that, that the state now has to fund um, their pension. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which you're probably all very well aware has been extremely underfunded yes. uh, for quite some time, mm-hmm. dating back to the 90s. Yep. Um, so there, if there is a perfect storm mm-hmm. uh, for the SEHBP, this is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, now that kind of paints a, a really complex picture here. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the school board's getting it. Um, you know, in terms of probably rate, uh, you know, they're they're going to get hit with uh, some rate increases mm-hmm. for their coverage. Um, but you're also going to have the unions trying to claw back some of these Chapter 78 contributions mm-hmm. uh, that the membership have been having to deal with. So uh, when it comes to the negotiating table, um, I think the, the old style of doing it or, or the way a lot have done it have been, you know, you kind of sit around the table, everyone orders pizza, mm-hmm. uh, could take, you know, uh, hours and hours. Um, but you you sit there and kind of spitball and almost throw darts at a dartboard, right? So the union says, well, ideally we would like it to be this. And the board says, ideally we would like it to be this. Mm-hmm. And then everyone kind of parts ways. There's no real resolution. And everyone kind of agrees to say, okay, we know where you're at. We know where we're at. Uh, we're going to go back to our, you know, uh, our, our office or whatnot mm-hmm. and, and kind of crunch the numbers and see what this looks like if we were to give a little or you gave a little. Mm-hmm. Um, what can be done to kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're young guys. We're, we're in, in the uh, we're in the world of trying to make things more efficient, right? Sure. We're trying to make things a little bit more streamlined um, and trying to help our clients out. Uh, what what's a what's a way that we could really kind of sit around the negotiating table and maybe you know trim the fat on this process and really kind of get down to uh, maybe getting a resolution here? No, definitely, and and I think uh, that goes back to where we started, where we see things uh, just a little bit differently uh, than everybody else. So when I got into the industry, uh, Chapter 78 had just passed. So what does that mean for me? I've been a part of, I can't even tell you how many negotiations, um, but I've never seen them done the way they were done before, mm-hmm. where the union just says no, and that's pretty much that. Mm-hmm. Uh, every year I've been a part of these negotiations, we've seen uh, incremental changes, right? So whether it's Chapter 78, or if you're in a private plan, tweaking that plan just a little bit to get some rate relief. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they've been pretty much on the same side. Now, I can't say universally, you know, the board and the union are always on the same side. Sure. Uh, but we've seen a lot more, uh, like negotiation, right? Mm -hmm. The actual negotiation mm -hmm. where we're, we're, we're working towards a common goal. Uh, and I think now more than ever, we're starting to see more of that. Um, but there's a lot that has to be done. Uh, so I'm going to have Giovanni in just a minute tell us a little bit about the current or uh, recent negotiation uh, that we were a part of and kind of some of the things that we did differently uh, that helped facilitate it. Um, but, but ultimately, uh, employees and especially the union leaders need to be educated yeah. on what it is we're doing. Yeah. Uh, they need a background on how the marketplace works because it's not just you get your 10% increase and you move on. There are ways to mitigate that, sure, sure. Uh, but it can't come from me. It can't come from uh, the board. It has to come. It has to be grassroots. It has to come from the union. Sure. Um, so there are certainly ways um, where we can kind of get that down. Now, now going back to that again, I look at it and I try. I mean, I serve at the privilege of the board. There's not two ways about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I make it very clear uh, that I try and stay as independent as possible mm -hmm. and create uh, strategies that help both sides. Sure. Uh, because that's ultimately what the point of a negotiation is. Well, if you always just fall on the side of the board and you end up, uh, you know, uh, rubbing the union the wrong way, sure. that's now made everyone else's job in the administration right. more difficult. Um, and so, you know, to your point, it, it makes more sense for you to work on either side of the table um, and, you know, even on the property and casualty and risk management side for Gio and I to work on both sides of the table. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if, if you're, you're, if you've got the, the cure for cancer, but it causes a lot of adversity, sure. uh, it's never going to be successful, right? right. Um, so, Gio, really quickly, um, you've really seen this in action, right? Yes. Uh, you've been involved in some recent negotiations. How did those go? So, uh, part of uh, you know what made us successful at these most recent negotiations that we had is our commitment to educating the people that we're talking to from the immediate moment that we get into that room. And we find that that is where we we can really build off of immediate successes and breakthroughs and them understanding what we're talking about because it's, it's complex uh, information that we're really throwing to them in a condensed amount of time. Um, some of my clients on the property and casualty side, it's taken me, uh, you know, a couple go rounds and renewal cycles to have them understand kind of where I'm coming from as far as the theory behind why we place the insurance a certain way, uh, what kinds that we go out and buy and, uh, you know, some of, some of the constant risk management protocols that we will put in place. So on the negotiation side, what we found that if we immediately walked in the door and we said, all right, hey, um, we can find a happy medium between the union negotiations and the board negotiations. There's a place to be where you're simply advising on uh, the current status of the environment inside of the, the health benefits world and where we can be and what the differences are between the two or three or four options that we're going to offer. Uh, the most recent two boards that we were at the last couple of weeks, we met immediate opposition from the union, uh, and most of it was from uh, uncertainty. And it's an inherent issue that I think uh, people will have if they don't know exactly what's going on, they're hesitant to make any change. I call it the devil you know versus the devil you don't. You always side with it. Even if you're not happy with it, you side with what you know uh, until you're fully uh, vested or understanding in, in what the new process is going to be. So we walk into... Uh, both these negotiations with immediate opposition, as I said, and uh, by the end of it, and I'll give you the quick end of it, they both end incredibly positively. The, uh, the decisions that were ultimately made um, were recommendations of ours, of course, but they were made uh, with essentially unanimous support by the union, which is not usually the case. Usually, 
the board is going to make a unilateral change. Their collective bargain agreement will say that they have to provide, uh, you know, uh, state health benefits plan uh, or equivalent uh, or um, equal to essentially. So uh, we're able to then say to them, all right, uh, this is the only part that the union doesn't really have control over that change, but we want to include you in the process so that it's something that runs a bit more seamless because everyone, instead of being angry over the change, is at least willing to understand what's going to be going on. So um, we were able to make pretty drastic changes in both of these instances, one changing the carrier going from the state health benefits plan to a, uh, a self-insured pooled arrangement, and then the other one staying with uh, the state health benefits plan but drastically changing the base plan offering. Um, and, you know, if we had told them when we first walked in the room that the outcome would have been uh, what it ended up being, I'm sure that they wouldn't have believed us. But uh, over that, you know, few hour process where, where John and I were in that meeting, um, we educated them to the point where we individually spent the time with each person to explain, hey, I know there's a pain point here and we're going to find it. And we're going to essentially quell that concern by providing you the information you're looking for. You want to know. Of course, you're, you're, you're here for your constituency, for the union, for the people that you represent, but you're also concerned about what it means for you. Uh, changes to these benefit plan designs typically are, are favored by a large majority of it uh, as far as what it impacts people financially, uh, but there's a few that don't. And how, how do we get to the point to educate them to how they can fill those gaps? And, and you know, John will talk about it a little bit more in detail, but how do we fill those gaps and or how do we educate them about how they can set themselves up for them to no longer really be gaps where uh, you know they can fund them in advance. Right, you know, and, and it's funny, when, when we first walked into the meeting with the board prior to seeing the union, uh, we actually laughed, mm -hmm. right, because we were taking a look at a, a, a strategic decision that had never been done in New Jersey before. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and universally, we kind of say, I, you know, I don't know if they're going to go for this, guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's almost no way that, that they're going to go for this because they don't understand it and they don't understand how it will benefit them. Um, and it was really our goal at that meeting to try and educate them and say, like, this, this is good for you. You, you come out a winner 9.9 .9 times out of 10 if you choose this strategy. Um, so it's just funny looking back on it. You know, we started with the mindset that everybody else has. Uh, but then we were able to overcome that uh, by really working as a, as a true consultant. And I think that's where there was a big difference. We didn't look at it as a broker, which says, you know, we'll shop the plans and give you the results. We really worked to educate all the parties involved uh, to let them know exactly what they needed to know in order to determine whether or not it was a good decision for them. So now, uh, do you have any special tools or anything like that that you use in this process to help with that education and, and uh, understanding kind of some of the ramifications of the trade-off? Uh, definitely. Um, so uh, one of the biggest assets um, that we bring to the table is, is what I refer to as the budget modeling tool. Uh, and, and that was a tool I built a few years ago and really refined over the past six months. Um, and what it allows us to do is we load all the employee information uh, into, this, into this tool. And then in real time, we can project what the impact is going to be on every single person and on the board as a whole if we change the uh, salary guide. So we go from 2.5 to 3%. Uh, if we change Chapter 78 contributions from year four to year one. Uh, I actually created it in such a way that we can create custom contributions. Uh, so we can have up to 20 of those added. Um, and then we can also change the base plan, right, from direct 10 to 2035 and anything in between, right? We can make it a high deductible health plan if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. We can also add an HRA fees. I mean, these, there's an unlimited number of things that we can do with this. The reason why uh, that has proved um, uh, so great in the last few negotiations we've used it in is because typically, 
Uh, they're spreadsheeting these things by hand. And the mm -hmm. Chapter 78 grid is a literal nightmare mm -hmm. uh, to spreadsheet by hand. Mm -hmm. So this changes everything automatically mm -hmm. uh, using a few different formulas and tools. Um, so what would have taken two to three weeks sure. now takes us about five seconds yeah. to do. And a real-life real example of it, we were sitting in negotiations and um, we had had the idea of what their original proposal was going to be to the union uh, different plan designs or contributions and um, immediately a, a quick rebuttal had come in at uh, contributions at certain percentage levels, you know, whether it be five, six, seven, eight percent of salary uh, at a defined uh, number for depending on what part of the salary guide you were on. Uh, but we had not received that information prior to us even uh, coming to that negotiations meeting. Uh, and there was, you know, the business administrator had, had looked over and said, ah, I mean, they didn't get this. It's, they're going to have to, they're not going to be able to pull off the numbers for us. And it took John about 25 seconds to change that contribution number to give them uh, a complete understanding of exactly what that meant for them. And it was actually not good for the, uh, for the, the board. I think the board ended up losing out in the second year on that circumstance. And uh, I don't think it even benefited the employees in the way that they thought that it might have. So we were able to quickly turn that around. And that's usually, and the, the podcast will never do it justice, but the, the tool itself is met with uh, such acceptance. Uh, the business administrators that we deal with, they'll see it and it's almost like their eyes light up because it's made a part of their job easier. And that's really what uh, our job is ultimately down uh, to the nitty gritty. We're looking to provide either uh, expertise where it might not be there, or we're looking to take off some of their daily job or some of what they have to do that they didn't realize that they never had to provide, if they had somebody there that was able to provide that type of service to them. And that's where we find value and where we're able to provide it to them. And our business administrators, for the most part, love the tool itself. Right. So so that that's probably uh, primarily the tool that we use to help uh, the boards, right? And, and it's to help the union, too, because they counter with their offers. Mm -hmm. And we can model that in seconds, too. And we can see, you know, who's the winner, who's the loser. And what we try and do is, is find a scenario where both sides come out a winner. Right, and that's ultimately what we did at the negotiation we're talking about. Uh, so, so one of the other tools that we use, and this is more for employees. So once we've figured out a strategy that we think works for both sides, right, we have to educate the employees, right? And, and we call this our, our total cost estimator. I know it's not a very flashy title, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it tells exactly what it is. Uh, you know, employees don't necessarily think about total cost, the amount that comes out of their paycheck and the amount that comes out of their pocket when they go see a doctor, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, if we propose to change from uh, direct 10 to direct 15, you know, someone would slam their fist and say, you know, that's a 150% increase in the copay, right? Right. And yeah, I guess technically you're right. Uh, but, you know, are you saving any money out of your paycheck, right, to cover that extra $5 of copay? Mm -hmm. um, so what we did is, is we used... Um, uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act guidelines for a low, medium, and high-risk utilizer of the insurance, uh, and then we model it. So we take what their contribution would be to Direct 10 Year 4, uh, and we model that against uh, whatever we're proposing, right? So, you know, maybe it's uh, Year 1 2030 plan. And then we show them how much money they're saving in each paycheck, uh, and, and based on uh, their utilization, how much they would expect to spend at the point of sale for the doctor. Sure. Uh, and then we can come up with a total of, mm -hmm. of how much money they're either gaining or losing. Uh, and if we do it right, 
uh, 9.9 times out of 10, employees come out winners, mm -hmm. where they may be taking home you know, a single person 500 to 1,000 more bucks a year, mm -hmm. uh, all the way up through, you know, I think we saw like mm -hmm. five or $6,000 for somebody. Right. And interestingly enough, I, sometimes when we talk like this, and you know, it, this is uh, an issue all throughout the insurance industry, is I, I say these types of things to either people that are uh, on the board side or they're on the, uh, on the, on the union side. And sometimes I just don't see a click. And I worry that because it didn't click there, that they kind of just bypassed it and now went on to their next point. And I, sometimes we, we uh, reel it back and we provide an example that is a bit more uh, easier to, to understand. I, I liken it to a baseball game. If I told you that you had, you know, 10 tickets to go see your favorite baseball team this year. And I said, this is the total cost to go see it. You in your mind immediately know, well, that's not really the total cost. I'm going to have to pay for parking. I've got uh, food and drink that I'm going to have to get there. So you already in your mind said, all right, these $40 tickets have already turned really to $80 because I'm going to have all these extra expenses. But what if I told you that all of that was included inside of the purchase of the ticket? You would then say to yourself, okay, I can figure out which one makes more sense depending upon what our usage is while we're inside. You know, how many cars we have coming to the game, how many, you know, food and drink purchases we're going to have. And people can easily make that distinction. They could say to themselves, all right, well, the all in kind of seems like a better idea if I use it. But if nobody in my family feels like eating or drinking while they're at the game, maybe it doesn't make sense. So if you can equate it to that and use those, those types of examples, people quickly will pick up on that. And that's part of our education, uh, our, our education piece that our value proposition includes making those complex uh, comparisons become a bit easier to understand and it, it's as simple sometimes as just doing that. I, I always tell people that uh, on our business cards it shouldn't say broker or whatever else our title is it should really say you know educator or something like right. that because you know we don't teach math or science or anything like that but we teach insurance and you know some of these trade-offs and things um, that reminds me in a later podcast we'll probably have to talk about the total cost of risk on the oh, uh, sure. property casualty side but um, so to go back into it um, with the uh, with the forecasting tool, um, I, I'm going to kind of take my BA hat, BA hat off a little bit here, um, just because I know a little bit of the inner works here. Um, there's usually some behavioral changes, right, that work into some of these. Um, you know, the the uh, you know the different plans don't exactly cover an ER visit the same way that they would, sure. uh, you know, um, one of the other options. So, what does the what does the the calculator or the the forecasting tool um, do to help you kind of communicate those, you know? simple little you know changes as opposed to going to the ER go to the you know fast fast ER or the yeah, first care yeah. kind of place so so there's that's part of the uh, the education piece right mm -hmm. so for example if you're looking at changing from uh, direct 10 to 2035 and that's an extreme example but you go from a $25 ER copay to a $300 ER copay mm -hmm. right so so maybe in the way we've structured it you know, we tell you, even if you go to the ER several times, you're still going to save money mm -hmm. total cost-wise. Mm -hmm. um, you still just straight up may not be comfortable with that $300 spent. But right? wait, there's more. But wait, <laughs> there's more. So, so for that person, um, you know, there's a couple different options. Number one, it's do you know what an urgent care center is? Mm -hmm. uh, two, do you know what telemedicine is? Mm -hmm. uh, and three, do you know when it's appropriate to go to your primary care physician? Um, so when we take a look at claims experience for a lot of these different groups, uh, we see an overutilization of the emergency room, right? And if we step back and take a look nationally, uh, typically 70% of the things uh, that get taken into an ER uh, could have been avoided by just going to the primary care physician. Right, non-life-threatening, right? you know, first aid. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so and we would never tell somebody not to go to the emergency room. For sure. 
uh, but we would educate you on when it is and when it isn't appropriate, and then provide you with alternatives. Right. So you know, if you break your hand and it's a fracture that's not through the through the skin, right? It's just a little a little tiny fracture. Mm-hmm. You go to the urgent care center. Right. They're going to X-ray it. They're going to take a look at it, and they're going to ship you off to go get a cast. I mean, mm-hmm. it'll be a simple process. Plus, you're not waiting in an emergency room, sure. right, uh, for six hours yeah. because you're you're not emergent, yeah. right? Um, or same same situation. You go see your primary care physician. He gives you a script to go get an X-ray, and mm-hmm. then you go see a specialist. I mean, that works equally as well. Or you could skip both of those and go right to the specialist, right? right? Uh, in in most of these plans. Um, so, so letting them know what is and isn't uh, emergent, for example, is a great way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also tacking on things like telemedicine, right? It's, uh, you can literally FaceTime a doctor, mm-hmm. uh, show him the rash on your arm, and if it needs an antibiotic, he can prescribe it, or she, over the phone, mm-hmm. and you can go pick it up at the pharmacy. Wow. Yeah. And that's 24-7 yeah. for most of these. Yeah. Some of them are a $20 copay. Some of them are just included in the price of, of whatever the employer is paying for you. Sure. Um, so a huge, huge advantage there. And so, I think what also gets missed in that also is, uh, you know, not that I'm shilling for a big company or anything, but, um, you know, like Walgreens, CVS, they all offer consultation at the desk too. So yeah. a lot of these minor things, you might not even have to go to the, the, right. the fast ER or something right. like that. You could probably just go to the desk. At That's the that education piece. And that's really what we're looking for because when it really comes down to it, we're not attempting to reinvent the wheel here. We just have to change consumer behavior within uh, your healthcare purchases by a little bit. I mean, the difference between being in a, uh, a group that has the experience to get out of the state health benefits plan uh, or uh, one that has to stay in because it's too poor is sometimes just a few consumer-driven decisions that people make when they purchase their healthcare or they, they utilize their healthcare. We have to change maybe one or two of those out of every 10. And if we're able to do that, that makes enough difference where you now have options as a board when you're going to negotiate uh, and you're going out to shop the market uh, for your health insurance premiums because the spend it's a big spend right we're talking 15 to 20 percent of your entire budget uh, is spent on all the employee benefits that you're it's usually you're what second or third line third, second enormous, or third biggest line item. and it's mm-hmm. an, it's enormous and because of that it, it's outside of salaries you know that they're not taking a decrease on salaries when you're there negotiating so sometimes the only way to free up that total cost that a board might spend on their employees is is really that health insurance line and that change in uh, consumer philosophy and the way that they go about uh, purchasing and utilizing your health care is, is, is tweaked just with education. We sat in, our fir- in that uh, most recent negotiations table and just to tell people that the cost of you know going for a sprain at the emergency room was five times as much going to the urgent care, they, it was a shocking number to them. They just didn't ever either hear that or they, they never put it in dollar sense what that will ultimately do because the, the union itself, you really are banding together here. If you all are utilizing the healthcare constantly, I hope that we're all healthy, but we're going to have to pay for that at some point. So there's only so much money in this entire pot. And if we're able to then tell them and they're able to you know, change, go back to their constituency and tell them about some of our spending habits and where we can improve it, just being able to communicate that piece is something that hadn't been going on at most places for uh, the most recent uh, past and, and probably into the future. we Everyone we go into, it seems like that's something new that we've been bringing to the table and something that they find valuable, just that small education piece there. Yeah, and I think just to kind of round out the negotiations conversation, you know, we always focus on the medical and the RX, mm-hmm. right? We, we virtually never talk about anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to take a broader look at the employee benefits program. You know, if we're going from uh, a direct 10 to a 2030 plan, 
and somebody wants to buy up to the direct 10 benefits, maybe they just do that by literally buying up. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they buy some voluntary products uh, to help pad it and give them even better coverage, mm -hmm. right? So an accident policy, if the kids are always at the ER because they're breaking bones right. and, and beating each other up, you know, that, that can cost a few bucks a paycheck, mm -hmm. right? But people aren't aware of that, right? right? Because the AFLAC rep or the colonial rep comes in once a year, you know, right. kind of not really sure why they're there. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you include that as part of the total package and part of the, the medical and RX presentation as well, mm -hmm it makes a lot more sense. Sure. Uh, and, and what we're seeing now is is more uh, employers taking a look at that uh, and also taking a look at health reimbursement accounts, mm. right? And, and that's a, a topic for another day. <laughs> um, but the gist of it is if you use these tools in the right way, uh, you can provide in some cases better than benefits mm. for a lower than cost. Right. Um, and, and that's really what your consultant's job is. If, yep. if your consultant's Slapping a few bids on the table and, and letting you have at it, you know, that's not what we get paid to do, yeah. uh, especially now more than ever. You know, before Chapter 78, that's really all we could do. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but now uh, you need somebody who's going to create a strategy for you and your employees um, to help bend this cost curve. Uh, because what we're facing right now, with a pension plan that's beat up, a state uh, employee health benefits program that's, that's, that's beat up, uh, and, and medical inflation that just never seems to go down. Right. I mean, somebody has to start taking the reins uh, and, and assume responsibility for these things. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, that's what we're trying to do. And so um, sounds like a, a very holistic approach, which is, uh, you know, refreshing, I think, uh, is, is much needed. Um, so the last thing uh, specifically that I wanted to ask you about, John, on this topic was uh, you had mentioned it before. I'm not going to ask you to kind of divulge the recipe for the special, special sauce here. But, um, you know, rotating back to Chapter 78, um, we had talked really briefly about um, some of the implications with long-term disability uh, and the fact that this is kind of like almost like buried treasure that some of the uh, districts don't understand. Um, do you have anything uh, that you could add to that conversation? No, definitely. Um, when Let's take a step back. Uh, typically, if you're part of the union uh, in, in one capacity or another, uh, you get offered short-term disability and long-term disability through Prudential, mm -hmm. right? and they offer a great product. Um, Chapter 78 uh, put into play uh, a long-term disability program as well. Um, so how that impacts your staff um, we found that virtually no one is even aware that that law exists, number one, uh, and then how to work around it, number two. Um, so we've met with uh, multiple districts that are spending more money than they need to, either on long-term disability or their employees have dual coverage, mm -hmm. um, which you know is great in the medical world to have all the coverage you can buy, mm -hmm. but in the long-term disability world, it doesn't quite stack like that. Sure. Uh, so in, 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 in several of these instances, they're spending money on policies they don't need. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we take a look at that, uh, and then we work with the team to rearrange it in such a way that we're maximizing the dollars that are used. That's good. Yeah, I, I, I mean, whenever it comes to public money, I mean, if it's if it's being, uh, you know, if it's being burned when it doesn't need to be burned, if they're paying twice or something, right. um, I think that's a that's a sticking point for a lot of people. You know, not not just the taxpayers. I mean, especially the taxpayers, but yeah. you know, anyone who's also working in those districts or working for those districts as a professional. So we found it to be basically a bit of an olive branch as well that we we're able to offer. You know, sometimes there's concern about who uh, the insurance broker works for, and the union will be. Uh, a bit apprehensive as a result of it, but uh, we found that if that's 
one of the ways that we can get into discuss with them and then provide some value with some savings or highlighting parts where uh, they have duplicate coverage and something that they can get rid of to add some money back to their paycheck. It allows us uh, when we finally get to that table for them to remember, hey, you know, those guys have already helped us um, when we hadn't in, in in the past. We didn't have anybody there to assist us. And uh, we find that that softens a bit of, um, you know, the concern that they might have about uh, any changes to benefits because they have built a little bit of trust uh, to begin with, that we at least at the minimum know what we're talking about. We've provided some examples of of ways that are that prove our concept that we're sitting here talking about. So uh, we covered a lot. Um, I think we're uh, we're running at about uh, you know thirty thirty five minutes here. Sure. Um, so really quickly, um, if uh, anyone listening to this podcast does have any questions, mm-hmm. um, how do they get in touch with you guys? So uh, I'll start off with uh, John, who's the health guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the different ways that they can find your contact information? Sure. Uh, so they can go right to our website. It's lbsandboyanj.com. So Liberty Benefit Advisors NJ.com. Uh, all of our contact information is up there. Uh, if they want to contact me directly, it's first initial, last name, J D Martino, D I M A R T I N O, at lbanj.com. Uh, alternatively, they can reach me on my work line, 267 467 5224. And of course, all this information is, is typically posted below in the comments as well. Of course. And Geo? Yeah, so Treadstone Risk Management, you can find us at www.treadstonerisk.com. Dot com. Um, my direct line is 862-377-9982. And uh, my email address, first initial, last name, gmancini at treadstonerisk.com. And, um, you know, all of our contact information for Matt and myself is on the website. Uh, and, you know, we, we'd love to work for uh, any of you in the future. Uh, and we appreciate you guys listening. Yep. And uh, don't be afraid to give us a call if you just want to bounce some uh, yeah. questions off of us or help us to mystif- mystify something else that you're uh, up against. Yeah, so. our goal is to use some of the questions that we get uh, in subsequent uh, podcast episodes. So uh, anything that comes up that we find uh, did help solve a problem for either one of our clients or, or a prospect or somebody that we've known for uh, some time, uh, we'd love to be able to share that success story on our subsequent episodes. So thank yeah. you. Yep. Yeah, thank you very much. And remember, call your broker. Thanks.